We are in 1 John chapter 4. Last month we celebrated Valentine's Day and uh, whether it's around the world here in the United States, that was the day when we spent, well, I really didn't, but $30 billion. It's the day that makes every man break out in hives, doesn't it? Uh, and that's why I didn't, I didn't contribute to that $50 billion there. But uh, the Bible talks a lot about love. And it's just not Valentine's Day, and it's just not at weddings, and it's just not 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but it talks a lot about love. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 39, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And he's quoting Leviticus. So apparently we were supposed to be loving back in the Old Testament as well, uh, right in the beginning closely to the Old Testament. John chapter 13, Jesus says this, and this puzzled me, and maybe it's puzzled you, in that it says, a new commandment I give unto you. Okay, so we kind of, we're probably shaky on the Ten Commandments, but, you know, you could eke out five or six probably. So there's this new one that is coming. What is that going to be? A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Well, that doesn't sound very new, because... Uh, it's, it starts in the Old Testament, and it runs through Revelation that we are to love one another. So why is this new? And I read that, and I thought, this doesn't make sense. Then I began to think, oh, well, I'm not done with that verse. The verse goes on that says that ye love one another as I have loved you, so love one another. This will be the first time, that's why it is new, that we are to love one another like Jesus loves us. And we, uh, as he speaks this, we, uh, we don't know what that love is going to look like, but in a few short days, they will see what love we are to, uh, to uh, bestow on those around us, love one another. We're going to see a love that has never been displayed, nor never will be displayed apart from Jesus Christ, God the Son, and God the Father, and revealed to us through God the Holy Spirit, a new commandment. And so, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Well, how did God love us? Verse 10, right above there. Herein is love, not that we loved God, because we don't have that kind of love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin, to be the satisfaction, the removal of guilt, for us, that propitiation. So a removal of guilt so that we might be reconciled to God. There, there's no other way that a man, that I, could be reconciled to a holy God unless my guilt is taken care of, covered, dealt with, 
And the only way my guilt could be dealt with was through Jesus Christ. We're going to see that, and John talks about that. And so uh, the Bible gives us many pictures of love. You know, there's Boaz for Ruth, and there's David and Jonathan, and there's Jacob for Rachel, and Jacob worked seven years, and he, he said that it was but a, a few days because of his love for Rachel. The seven years. Uh, the greatest picture of love, though, is not the day we celebrated last month, but the day, day we celebrate every Sunday, but particularly this Sunday and next Sunday as we hone in on the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there are a few facts about love that I want to point out from 1 John chapter 4. First, we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. Uh, that's what he says. We love God because he first loved us. Um, that's why we love him. So we love God because he first loved us. First fact, second fact, God loves us as much as he loves anyone who has ever lived. Oh, can you believe that? As much as anyone that's ever lived. Uh, verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us. You know, that's, that's us. That's us. That, he's talking about uh, all of us. Well, all of the good people, no. Uh, John isn't saying if you're good enough, he's going to love you. But all men. That's why Jesus said in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, the world. Is that talking about his creation? I love creation. I love to get out into the woods. I love to run on the Paul Bunyan Trail or in the Arb. You know, I, I love that, but that's not what he's talking about. Yes, the world, the creation, someday is going to be redeemed. It is groaning right now to be redeemed by Jesus. And he will redeem creation someday when he establishes his kingdom on this earth so that the lion will lie down with the lamb and that a child can play with a serpent or a snake because the earth will have been redeemed and then we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years on this earth. But that's not what he's talking about here. For God so loved the world. For God so loved sinful men and women and boys and girls. That's what he is saying here. He is talking about a world of sinners. God so loved sinners. You know he still loves sinners? You know that guy that you can't stand? God loves him. You know that lady that you'll walk across the street so that you don't have to acknowledge her and she doesn't have to acknowledge you? God loves her. You know that, that person that is despicable and the things that he has done that maybe you read about in the paper? God loves that person. He loves us as sinners God loves sinners hard to believe third point God loves God's love for you is in no way dependent upon you uh, that's hard to believe God's love for you is in no way 
dependent upon you. Now, it's not because you had devotions in the morning that God loves you. It's not that you've cleaned up your act. It isn't. His love for you isn't dependent upon how well you act or how well you live. Because he loves sinners. He loves you as much as he loved Abraham and Moses and Joseph and Daniel and Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Paul and Billy Graham and the martyrs, Nate Saint, the martyrs that died, Louis Palau, Hudson Taylor, Billy Sunday, Charles Spurgeon, the demoniac that we looked at last week, the scribes and Pharisees. Now we're getting closer, right? Oh, well, okay. He loves me as much as the scribes and Pharisees. I say, oh, okay. Well, that's a little better. Uh, the pilot, the scoffers, the mockers, the gamblers at the foot of the cross. And that's why he said, Father, forgive them. I love them. They just don't know what they're doing here. God loves you as much as he loves his son, Jesus. No tomatoes, no boos and hisses. Uh, have I stepped over the line? Should I expect lightning to come and leave a pile of ashes here on the floor? God loves you as much as he loves Jesus, his son. I wouldn't say it except that Jesus said it. He said it there in John 17, 23. He said that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, the world, as thou hast loved me, even as thou hast loved me. He loves the world to the same degree, if you look at this word, to the same degree as thou hast loved me. He loves the world to the same degree as God the Father loved his son, Jesus. That is hard for me to believe. But I should be able to believe it because I quote this verse almost every Sunday, John 1, 12. But as many as receive him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, sons of God even to them that believe on his name. Sons of God. God the Son. Dave the Son. You know, you, if you're a believer, you're a, a son or a daughter, and you know what he was saying there. Yeah, whether you're a child or a boy or a girl, become a son of God. Why? Because God loves us as much as he loves his son, Jesus. Hard to believe. I, 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 it's hard for me to grasp. Fourth fact, God loves you. Why? According to this passage, God loves you because God is love. It's not talking about God feels love towards you. It's not talking about feelings. It's not talking about something God does. It's talking about who God is. God is love. 
Everything God does is motivated by love, whether it looks like it or not. Everything God does in your life is motivated by love. It doesn't always look like that. I got a text message this past week. Uh, it was last week, uh, saying, Pastor, will you pray? My son is in jail as a friend of, of mine. Uh, my son is in jail. He's got, he just got COVID-19. They have put him in isolation. Uh, he is all alone. There's no, I, I can't take care of him there. He's coughing up stuff. The jailers won't take care of him because they don't want to get COVID. And uh, he is all alone. Pray. My text back to her was, your son is not in the jailer's hands. Your son is no longer in your hands. Your son is in God's hands. And God loves him more than he loves you, uh, than, than, he, than you love him. So, uh, yes, uh, Friday, this week, got a text saying, Pastor, pray. They're going to try to put him in New Life uh, Treatment Center or in Teen Challenge Treatment Center. And thank you, Lord. Uh, I texted in that first text, I said, sometimes God has unique ways to getting a person's attention. Have you ever noticed that? Unique ways. Sometimes it hurts. Now, uh, I haven't told, I think I told one person this, because we go to Mexico, to Cozumel, uh, and we, it's a safe island, and it's a, uh, uh, it's a place we go, and we don't have to worry about things we might see and that, that kind of stuff. And so I, I, I hesitate to say this, but while I was there, I was walking by myself, and uh, I was held down and stabbed two times in the face. Now, the, the wounds have healed, and, uh, and the teeth that Dr. Nora worked on after stabbing me twice with Novocaine... Um, they're healing, and they are fine. But I am so glad. That was a good thing. Uh, the Novocaine helped. Uh, even though it hurts, it, uh, it helped. Sometimes God does these things, and therefore are good. And we, we can't see it at the time. But everything he does in your life and in my life is done for my good and your good. Why? Because God is love. God loves you because he is love. He is good all of the time. I know that's Teen Challenge motto. God is good and God is right all the time. All the time. So uh, how do we know God loves you in this way? Verse 9, God sent his son into the world. That's how we know. So what does that mean? God sent his son into the world. How do we know that? Three words. Gethsemane. Inquiry. And Calvary. Three words. Gethsemane, a place to weep. The Aramaic word for, uh, Aramaic word for Gethsemane is olive press or oil press. And some of you went with us when we went to Israel, and we 
I toured Israel with Aaron Broughton when he was a missionary there, and, and we saw oil presses, olive presses. We saw those big stones that would be rolled around over the tops of those olives, and, and it wouldn't just press the olive, it would press the olive pit and break the pit, crush it down until the oil would come out those stone troughs because it was a place of great pressure. Gethsemane, a place of great pressure upon Jesus Christ. This is a place of great tears. He, he wept as sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. And, and uh, whether, and this is possible, whether the, uh, so much stress that the vessels in the face uh, burst through and actually mingled with the sweat. It could have been that, or maybe the author is just describing what great pressure was on Christ, that it was as if he were sweating great drops of blood, but a place of great tears, a place of great resolve. Because three times he says, nevertheless. What's that mean? I give you myself. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Then goes praise again. Let this cup pass from me. Is there a way that this cup can pass from me? Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Nevertheless, what a great example for us. Maybe every day, three times every day, find yourself saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. A great example for us. That was Gethsemane inquiry. You see, Jesus knew that three, he would experience three illegal trials by the Jewish authorities. Jesus knew he would experience three illegal trials from Roman authorities and be condemned to death, even though they say, we find no fault in this man. That doesn't make sense, of course. The only reason it made sense at all is that this is God's plan. This is why. They didn't take Jesus' life. Jesus said, you don't take it from me. I lay it down. If I didn't want to go to the cross, or if I didn't need to go to the cross, I wouldn't go to the cross. I've got 10,000 angels. They could come and clean up on this mess, but he didn't. So he knew those things. He knew he would be beaten, like Isaiah 52 describes, that he was beaten beyond recognition. Beaten, pummeled on the face until it was swollen and cut and, and bruised to the point where uh, Isaiah says you couldn't even tell that it was a, a man. His form was not human. And uh, crushing the crown of thorns upon his head with those big things and beating him with the rods and scourging him. Well, Tackett described with the, the, the short whip with bone and glass and stuff in it that when he would strike his back it would pull the the flesh off of his back and then the sinew the muscle and and pull that and then it would expose his entrails as they beat him and then they nailed him to the cross and so uh calvary that's calvary he knew he would face the cruelest form of death ever devised by humans. One historian said it was the extreme and ultimate punishment of slaves. So he, he died the death of a convicted slave for us. That's what he says.
Fact number five, what is it then that caused the most agony? And I hadn't thought about this until two Wednesdays ago watching the engagement pro uh, project. Del Tackett brought this out. The separation of his father. Uh, how do we know? He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He is experiencing separation from his father, that he, he was one with his father from eternity past. Why hast thou forsaken me? Why did God forsake him? And I want you to listen close. Otherwise, you're going to gasp. You're going to write nasty things on email, but or uh, Facebook, but I'm not on Facebook, so I won't even know. Why did God forsake Jesus? Because he was a child molester. He was uh, an adulterer. He was a fornicator. He was a liar, a thief, a murderer, a pornographer, child trafficker. What, what sin do you have to add to that? Now, what are your sins? I, don't tell me. I don't want to know. But you can add your sin because that's what he was. When he hung on the cross, he was me. He was you. See, Jesus didn't die on his cross. Jesus died on my cross. Jesus died not for his sin, but for my sin. So Jesus were, uh, was all of those things, whatever the sin that's been committed uh, through all uh, from the existence of mankind, that's what Jesus, and in the future, that's what Jesus was when he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because I cannot look upon sin, for I'm a holy God. And so he had to be forsaken. The Trinity is suffering at this time. He is, uh, just think of God the Father suffering. Uh, I think about how would I feel if I had to watch one of my boys go through this or one of my daughters go through this. It would be agony, 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 real agony. I, I think of Mary standing at the foot of the cross. Does she remember when, when the, uh, the, the, pro, uh, the prophet there holds up Simeon, holds up Jesus? There, and, and he's been, he's a few days old, and he blesses Jesus through all. Right then, when she's watching her son die, a sword had to be piercing through her soul. The suffering that went on. Something that Del, Hack uh, Del Hackett, uh, Tackett 
brought out was how long did the separation last? He asked some, some said, well, three seconds, as long as it took him to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Three seconds. Somebody else said, well, uh, three hours, because for three hours there was darkness upon the earth. Somebody has said, well, for three days, because for three days he was in the tomb, separated from God. Well, he didn't know the exact answer, neither do I, but I've been thinking about it for those two weeks since I saw this, or three weeks. When did it end? When he was interceding for us, wasn't he, on the cross? And it was because of us that he was separated from God. So when did this separation end? And, and I don't know, but what is Jesus doing for us right now? He is interceding for us at the cross, uh, at, from the throne. He's at his Father's right hand, interceding to his Father. So is, does that mean he is begging God to forgive us of our sin? I don't think so. Because he's already paid, but I think he is a, a, he's a reminder. His intercession is a, an act of reminding the Father that he can love us because he bore that sin. How does he remind him? The nail prints in his hand. He has those there because he had his glorified body when he appeared before the disciples and so he has those and the scar on his side maybe it's not even a scar maybe it's still maybe there's still open sores I, I don't know but uh, Jesus experienced something separation from God what did Adam and Eve experience when they after they sinned Separation from God. Jesus sought them out. What does the unbeliever experience when they die? Well, sometimes we say, well, hell, and that's true. But that's just the place they go to experience separation from God. So Jesus experience this separation for us and then tells us I will never leave you nor forsake you isn't that great though he was uh, separated from his father he says to us I will never leave thee nor forsake thee and he meant it Jesus the Lamb of God was still the Lamb of God in Revelation 5, verse 6, looking for someone who could open the book and uh, could find no one until the Lamb of God, Jesus, comes. He was still the Lamb of God years, because John wrote that book years after the crucifixion. He was still the Lamb of God. Jesus today is still the Lamb of God. And it wasn't the nails that paid for our sin. And it wasn't the crown of thorns upon his head that paid for our sin. It wasn't the spear in the side. It wasn't the beatings that he took. It wasn't the, the cross that paid for our sins. There were thousands that died on crosses. They couldn't pay for our sin. But something they could not stand 
or they would eventually experience was separation from God. So God is, Jesus is our substitute. We will get resurrected bodies, our knees, our fake knees, our fake hips, and our fake shoulders, and the rods in our backs, and and our pacemakers, and all the stuff that we have eventually will be gone. We'll leave them here. We'll We'll be rid of them. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, But Jesus will still carry his, interceding for us on our behalf. So why did he cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because that's what it took to pay the price for our sin. I know it took his blood, because without the shedding of blood can be no remission of sin, but it took his separation from his father. Because... If he didn't, then we would have to experience that at one time. Sometimes people show glimpses of that kind of love. Pete? This is World News Tonight with Peter Jennings. Good evening. The disaster that summoned the Soviet leader so urgently home began at 11.41 in the morning yesterday. Folks were at work. The kids were in school. The earthquake was measured at 7 on the Richter scale, and that is an earthquake capable of doing massive damage, and that seems to be the case. Based on what the International Red Cross knows, they believe that 30,000 people may have lost their lives, maybe more. That maybe 300,000 are homeless, maybe more. These are the ruins of Leninakan. In the central square of the town, the clock shows the exact time disaster struck. The second largest city in Armenia is in ruins. We saw houses turned into heaps of metal and concrete. Schools and kindergartens turned into heaps of rubble. We saw people, their faces full of grief and anguish. A tragedy you cannot express in words. Officials say the prime task is the search for survivors who may still be beneath the rubble. school that had collapsed during school hours and parents ran to that school those who were still alive and many of them began to dig in that rubble desperately trying to find their children and after several hours they slowly one by one began to leave but there is one guy, one dad, who just kept digging. Mm. And he dug for hours, and people would come back and try to pull him off, and he would just say, help me, help me. Mm. He dug through the night and into the next day, and the police tried to come, and he would just say, help me, help me. He dug for three days. And he finally pulled aside a slab, and there was a void there, and his son was staring him in the face. And his son looked at him, and he said, I knew you would come for me. 
And, and that is our Father. No matter where we end up running off to and getting stuck, and it doesn't matter. You can trust that He is going to come get you. Why? Psalm 107, we read that, right? Because of the love of God. He will find you because He is love. Jesus loves you. You can run from his love, but he'll hunt you down. He wants you because he loves you, because he is love. If you're here and you haven't given him your life, you've never asked him to forgive and save you, then he's after you now because of his love. Let's stand. You can catch me in the hall, or you can catch one of the other pastors, or you can catch your mom or your dad. And uh, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, this morning is the time to do that. Let's pray. Father, we can only say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Realizing that in a small way, we see what you went through. For me, thank you. Lord, if there's somebody here that is saying, no, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to live. I'm not going to yield to the Holy Spirit's tug on my heart. I pray that you might break that heart and save that heart and save that life for eternity. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There are life groups in 15 minutes. If you don't have a life group, you can check. We do have some maps out there to show what the life groups are doing, or you can seek out somebody. Thank you for being here.